Welcome to Modern Day Missionaries, a podcast by Modern Day Missions created for missionaries by missionaries. I'm your host, Stephanie Gutierrez. If you're a missionary, there's a good chance you're serving in some type of leadership capacity, or you will be someday. But even if you knew how to lead and serve well in your passport country, you probably noticed pretty quickly that leading cross-culturally brings a whole new set of challenges. Today, pastor and former missionary Charlie Elliott shares tangible ways to lead well in cross-cultural settings. Well, welcome to this episode of Modern Day Missionaries. Today, we are so glad to be joined by Charlie Elliott. Charlie is the executive pastor of Global Ministries for Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas. And Charlie, you were also a missionary in Africa and Latin America for a decade. And that's where you met your wife, Kelly, on the mission field. We got to hear a little bit more about that. All four of your sons were born overseas. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And Charlie is passionate about helping global leaders build healthy organizations that are full of the presence of Jesus. I love that. That is a a great statement. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Stephanie, it's awesome to be here with you guys. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. It's so good to have you. And Charlie, before we dive in, I am going to shoot a few rapid fire questions or wait just to get us going, just to let people get to know the human side of you before we tap into your leadership guru side. So, okay, we're going to start easy. My non-human side. We'll <laughs> get the human stuff out of the way. <laughs> That's true. That did sound kind of weird, didn't it? All right. So we're going we're gonna to start easy. Um, who's your favorite child? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a real question. <laughs> Every parent's worst nightmare question. Okay. How about this one? Favorite food from Zimbabwe. That's where you served. That's right. That's right. Zimbabwe. Okay. Easy. So in Zimbabwe, you've got you've to have some sadza with some beef stew and some stewed vegetables, like uh, stewed uh, rape uh, with a, a sauce, and you eat it with your hands. So, What is that flavor profile like? So sadza would be a cornmeal, like a maize cornmeal that you have it in a lot of, it's a staple in a lot of Southern African countries. They have different names in different countries, Ugali and kind of Swahili nations, but you cook it up real thick, kind of like cooking up grits porridge and then but you add so much that it's thicker than mashed potatoes and you can it just comes out as this really thick um kind of looks like mashed potatoes you would take it and make a ball you like pinch off pinch off a piece make a little ball and then you have like a little bit of meat or vegetables in a like a gravy type of sauce that you dip it in and pinch a little bit of the protein and you just eat it up kind of it's awesome you're making me hungry. That sounds delicious. How about Mexico? What was your favorite food when you guys lived there? Oh, hands down tacos. Come on. <laughs> Real tacos. Yep. Tacos de pastor and tortillas de maíz. Hechos a mano. Yep. Come on. You cannot beat a fresh taco. That's right. Oh, my That's gosh. Right. Okay. Next question. So uh, well, oh, you got to tell me, what was your favorite Peruvian food? Oh, gosh. I've never had someone throw a question back at me. Um, I would say my favorite, they call it the king, is Lomo Saltado. Oh, yeah. I've, okay, have you had Lomo Saltado? Oh, yes. Absolutely. I it's feel like best. it's just hard. It's hard to beat. I mean, those strips of steak and the tomatoes and the onion over the French fries and the rice with that sauce and the ajina We're amarillo. So hungry by lunchtime today. Really are. I'm eating right after this. I'm I'm officially starving now. Starting off the morning. 
yeah, you, I feel like you cannot beat Lamosa Salad. There's so many good dishes. As you know, there's probably a thousand you could have said, but that's that's my go-to. Yeah. That's my go-to. Yeah. Okay, so this question is just for you. I don't I don't even want to answer this one. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. What did you get into the most trouble for with your parents as a kid? Oh, my goodness. Uh, just picking on my little brother. I'm the oldest. I was mean. I was a mean big brother for a lot of years, so I, I couldn't stop. I couldn't resist, so... That would okay. be definitely the most, I don't know, that that's not the one incident, but that was definitely the most frequent transgression for sure. Okay, I will relate to you. I'm also an oldest sibling. And so, yeah, there's just things that we do because we're the oldest and we're in control and we repent yeah. from those as adults when we have our own kids. But hey! <laughs> yeah, we make it. We made it. And that he survived too. So, yeah, Yeah, builds character. Okay, what is your most used emoji when texting? Great question. I think it kind of goes in seasons, right? But it's nothing It's nothing wild. It's like a thumbs up or a, the praying thank you hands. It's like, are those thank you hands or praying hands? I don't know. But one of those two probably is the most, the most used one. Not the poop emoji. No. <laughs> but my, we did have to tell my grandmother that that's not chocolate ice cream. Because no. she thought that for a while. Oh my gosh, grandparents and texting is my favorite. <laughs> this last one's really easy. What is one book you're reading right now? Um, I've been reading a book by Eugene Peterson. That's um, it's a book on it's actually on the book of Revelation. It's called Reversed Thunder. And it's all about it's not at all really like an end times book as much as how the book of Revelation is really meant to use its imagery. Um, to evoke your imagination and draw you into prayer. So beholding the Lord and praying into the mystery of who he is and what he's doing rather than like decodifying the future. So I've been, I've been kind of reading through that and, um, you know, and, and reading Revelation like in that lens. So it's been fun. That sounds like a great book. I have not heard of that one. I mean, you can't go wrong with Eugene Peterson, anything he writes, but that sounds fascinating. Yeah. Reverse Thunder. Yeah, it's on. Reverse Thunder. Yeah. St. John and the Praying Imagination. I think that's like the, something like that. It's like the subtitle. It's it's fun. I, I don't think it's one of his well-known books, but I found it somewhere and it's been, it's been good. Yeah. Okay. This is one of my favorite questions to ask guests when they come on because I feel like I get the best book recommendations. So thank you for that, Charlie. There you go. Okay. So you passed Flying Colors, all the questions. You did, did so it. great. Lightning round. <laughs> so now we're going to jump into what we're talking about today. And that is leading cross-culturally. And we'll talk about the aspects of that. This is vulnerability, being relational. And this is such an important topic because I know when missionaries are surveyed, one of the top reasons um, they leave the field or there are issues, things that stress them out are so often team-related or relationship-related. And relationships are critical for us being able to work together and fulfill the purpose God's given for us on the mission field. If we don't do these well, I mean, it's hard for us to serve well. And leadership is a key Absolutely. part of that. And and as we're jumping into that, Charlie, share a little bit about what you do at Gateway along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. So at Gateway, I lead a team of um, what's our missions team, or we call it our global ministry team. And our team builds relationships on behalf of our church with different ministries, churches and ministry leaders, um, you know, in, in, in many different nations. And so it's a cross-cultural team. And we have, you know, a pastor that works with Africa and one that works with Latin America, Europe, Asia, 
um, like that. And so they kind of work within a pretty much a cultural or geographic context. Um, and they're working cross-culturally. We're a cross-cultural team uh, or a multicultural team, like I should say. And, um, and then we're, we're just doing things to equip leaders, build relationships, look for ways to collaborate. And we also um, set up short-term trips for members of our church congregation just to go and serve um, and have an experience serving and learning how God's moving in another context. So, I am yeah. so grateful for the work that you do and, and the entire Gateway Church does regarding missions. It's, it's a really a beautiful thing to see a church so deeply involved in and passionate about missions. Well, thank you. Thank you. We're so grateful. We love it. Love it that it's in our pastor's heart, our leadership's heart, and we, we get to um, go out and, and make friends with a lot of great people. So. Yeah. Well, and we love the relationship we have at Modern Day with Gateway. It's, it's been a blessing to us as well. So then let's okay, step in for a second to your backstory. Um, so you share the countries that you served in. What was, uh, what was leadership like for you, whether being under it or being in it while serving in Zimbabwe and Mexico? Yes, absolutely. Great question. Well, I was so young when I moved to Zimbabwe, but I was really kind of thrown into the deep end. Um, I was, I was 20 years old Wow! and I'd been there two weeks. I was a part of a team that we were, there was eight of us on a team and we would travel in the Southern part of the region. And we would, um, we would go into a city, live there for a month to six weeks and do a, do a, about a three, four week, we called it a mobile Bible school. That was the forerunner to uh, kind of a big crusade. We worked for an evangelist who would come in and do a big crusade outreach, but we would work with churches and believers for three to four weeks, teaching Bible subjects um, and discipleship um, methods um, so that they, it was the idea was like build up the church, equip the church to do so that you don't just have a big event and leave, but they're equipped to do follow-up discipleship after that was really the heart. And, um, and then we were getting that big event ready as well. So I'm there about two weeks. We're a team of eight of us. I'm the second youngest on the team. And um, we go to the first place we go, which is in Blantyre, Malawi. We're there for, and there was one like main director, team leader. So we're there two days. And that night he calls me in his room, hands me all the money, puts it in envelopes. This is for electricity. This is for security. This is for food. This is for fuel. And he says, hey, I'm going to Zambia for three weeks. I'll be back the week before the crusade and you're going to be in charge of the team. <laughs> oh so, my gosh. You just got so my, right in. Oh, right in. So leadership was like um, every morning we would wake up, we'd have like a team devotion time. And then I'd kind of, as the leader go, okay, uh, what do we, what do we do today, guys? <laughs> and they would say, well, I think we need to do this. I'd say, all right, let's do that. And we would just, so it kind of started there, but you know what? I, I've, I learned the ropes and, um, we made it through a couple of those. And then, you know, you slowly start to no longer be the new kid on the block. You're familiar with it and you, you know, then you begin to make decisions and lead and so forth, you know? So. And so the people that you served with initially, was that more of an American missionaries? Was that a cross-cultural setting or that was, was a cross-cultural setting? That was, um, the first, when I first went myself and another American and about seven Zimbabwean Shona Zimbabwean guys. Yeah. Um, oh, we had an Australian with us for like a month on our team. He was short term and the other American was only there for about three months and then was back. So then, uh, the next year it was me and, and seven Shona guys. 
And then the second year I was there, or full year I was there, we had um, two ladies from the UK uh, join our team. So we kind of had a half that year, we had a Swedish guy. So it's kind of always a cross-cultural, but the bulk of it was a, a Zimbabwean team with a, you know, a few international people sprinkled in. So you've kind of always led in a cross-cultural setting then. Yeah, I think for the most part, I have. Yeah. Wow. What would you say are some of the unique challenges, some of the unique um, aspects really of leading in a cross-cultural setting versus maybe one that's not? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think the first thing that has to happen before you can really lead is um, the the bond of trust that you develop with the people you work with has to begin to to reach a tipping point where it overcomes their preconceived assumptions or 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 you know their prejudices, if you will, their prejudgments, their assumptions of um, whatever that is. This is what um, you know. In my for my case, it might be this: all white people are this, or Americans, or, or this is the way Americans are. This is the way Americans lead, or it could be. You know, it could be a denominational context. It might be, this is the way a Baptist or a Pentecostal or a whatever is, or men are this way, but they're going to have certain common experiences. And some of those are going to be defense mechanisms of this is what I haven't liked from what I've seen in the past. And they're, they're going to reserve some level of trust until I want to see what you are. And mm -hmm. so, um, you've got to be a uh, patient and you've really got to seek to establish a bond of trust that I think begins to, when they're with you, they feel, oh, there's something distinct. This, and you're, you're helping maybe rewrite a script of some of what they've experienced by intentionally just showing them who you are. Mm. So building trust and having the patience to recognize that's going to take a while. And you mentioned one of the ways that you did that is by letting them get to know you as a person. What are some of the other ways that you worked to establish trust? I think, I think paying attention. I remember back, especially in the, in the, those years in, in, in Zimbabwe. Um, and it's just, first of all, you got to understand there's no way around being the new kid on the block. If you're new on a missionary assignment, there's just, it's okay to have your new season. You're learning. You're taking everything in and the way you're learning is you're, you're looking at the way the traffic flows, the way the laws are enforced, the way people eat, you're looking at all the customs and you're comparing to your experience. And then you're, you're seeing the contrast and stuff screaming at you. And, you know, I was, I was on our team and then after I'd been there like a year and a half, we had two other international people join our team and I got so annoyed by their questions, you know, they're like, why is, you know, they're just, why is that this way? And why are people doing that? And they're just, and they don't even yeah. realize they're verbalizing every single question, but that, you know, I'm, I was annoyed for like three minutes until I realized, oh, that was me. Like just, a, you know, a year ago, I was, that was me. And, but also I realized, okay, that's, there was a grace that was extended to me as I went through that learning curve. And so, um, but I think that you kind of, as you, as you get around that learning curve, you begin to realize ways maybe I was coming across to the people I'm working with that I didn't see at first. Mm -hmm. And I realized, oh, you're giving me grace here. You're giving me grace there. And just learning um, 
there, I mean, we lit like the team I led, we, we would be out for four or five, six weeks living in the same home. And so you're, you're nonstop working and living together. So there was little things like, like there were some things I did. I remember, um, I was managing our budget and, and our, our, all of our food purchases. And there was sometimes shortages on things. And it was like, well, we just won't have that. We're just not going to buy that. And I was just making a budgetary decision and it triggered a perception of like, oh, you're just, um, it, it, it triggered a much deeper relational, almost, um, historical dynamic of like colonialism. And you're telling us wow. we can't have this, we can't, and there's a tension. And then when I was so new, the first, I was actually blind to read body language, face, facial things and realize there's a problem because their culture is kind of mask what you're um, feeling and don't let it be shown on your face. Mm. And you had to actually learn just to read people's eyes very closely and you and I you know so the first couple of times it's like I realized oh there's been a problem for two or three weeks and I was totally oblivious to it you work out that problem and you learn through it and then in a later season we had other international guests join our team they said something and I I knew our team by then and I instantly look over and I watched this very subtle facial body language and I'm like, oh, okay. Yep. That was, that, that was a problem. And so it's like, then later I go over and I sit down and with the team, Hey, this, this is what happened, isn't it? And I, I just, and they're like, and then that, I think those were some of the things that established a deeper trust. Cause then it was like, okay, he gets us, he understands mm. us. And then, because then I go over and I just, you know, help the other side understand, Hey, here's what you got to know. And here, if you communicate this way, you're, you're sending a message that you're not intending to send. Oh, we're so sorry. You know, and you just, but they realize, okay, he gets us. He, he cares about us. He has our interests at heart. And, and then it's like, I think trust deepens and you, you start, and then you start to lead, um, with greater, you know, weight or, uh, I don't want to say authority, but momentum, you can get things done because you've got, you have that bond of trust. So, yeah, that he gets us thing is huge because, you know, we can even see that play out in the U.S. or wherever somebody's passport country is in the sense that if we're with people of the same culture, we still know to kind of check out their personalities and what are their triggers and what are the things that make them happy and what are the things that are difficult for them. So we understand that from a personality perspective, but a challenge that you're bringing up uh, that I think is pretty evident is when you're in a, a cross-cultural setting, you have not only different personalities, but you've got different cultural things that you're completely unaware of. Like you said in the beginning, you could have never known what those little looks meant, but you became an active student of the culture to try and figure out what those things are. Um, and that's something that everybody can do in the culture they're at. And probably something a lot of people are doing is really studying the culture, trying to find out those nuances. But then, Charlie, you also made yourself open to discovering your blind spots. And that's not something that everyone does by far. What were some of the ways that you invited people to speak into your life to say, hey, when you do this, Charlie, it's really offensive or that's driving me crazy. How did you make yourself um, vulnerable in that space? Yeah, I think it I think it was fairly natural in that. 
if your desire is to really be in unity with the people you're working with, it's like after I mentioned, you know, realizing, oh, I've, I've hurt someone, offended someone from a blind, from a, I was just blind to what I said or did, how I came across and you work that out. Uh, I remember in, in those words, more or less saying, please let me know if I do this again, if I, would you please, but I also realized, um, it's whether personality or culture there, it, it's probably going to be a lot to, to, for them to actually come forward and, and say that, um, I think we got there, but I realized it's probably on me more to be, um, take the extra mile or take the extra step to lean in and go, Hey, did, did that come across? Okay. Is that, was everything good with that? So I think it was even better for me sometimes to just after a meeting, after something, if I had any doubt, um, and then it's like, even that I think builds the trust because they see, oh, you're, you're leaning in just to double check, just to make sure. So they see the intent of the heart and that helps open it up where they would feel comfortable. Now you've checked three or four times. They're like, no, we're good. No, there was nothing. Don't worry. But they, then maybe later there is something and they feel, oh, there's an open door. I can come in and share. So going in with a posture of humility and then just keeping that door open. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, you're talking about blind spots. One of the, or I think there's, it's important just to have a balanced approach because realizing there's one side, I think of many of us that it's like when you get married, you know, you've got all the different scenarios, right? Like, do you put the toilet paper where the roll unravels going over the top or behind it, you know, and all the, and like whatever way you grew up with is best, right? You know, we, we, we do our, you know, the cups upside down in the pan, in the cupboard or right side up yeah. or whatever, right? you know, all of these little scenarios and your default is my way's better. And I remember just moving to the mission field was the first time I lived in a country that used the metric system and kilometers and liters and everything in the metric system than, than our English standard in America. And, you know, it, and then you just see all the little things. And you do see things where you're like, why do they do things like this? My ways, you and you have a default, my way's better. But I realize yeah. like the metric system is actually way better. Everything it's amazing. Is so simple. Yes. Anyone who has just, moved overseas, like you fall in love with the metric system. Like, why do we not use this everywhere? I know it. I know it. And you see, you start to see like, you know, there are some things that work. I like my, I, I like the way I grew up with better. And then you realize, but there's actually some things that are done that make way more sense and are so much better than the yeah. way I did it. And so I think both extremes, you can have people come in and just think, um, my way is, you know, is better. And what happens if you communicate that too much, you will actually build a resistance because it, you know, the things that you will have people less on board with you in the areas that matter because you over vocalized your superiority in too many things that don't matter you know like i don't know and so but the other side i think is you know also coming in and just like i need to apologize for everything um and um everything is superior right that kind of i think come in with a humble posture but come in um you know really it's about connection that's powerful what you just shared right there that recognition of what you're feeling on the inside and, and the the preferences that you have because of the way you were raised. Um, and then also with a desire to honor both cultures. It's not better isn't the word. It's what yeah. is 
what is something that I like from here? What is something I like from there? And then I do think sometimes you do recognize in cultures, there are parts of, I would say, an American culture that I, I don't love. And there are parts of overseas culture that I don't love. And so how can we take the best of these cultures and really bring them together? And I think that's what a good leader does, whether it's a work culture, a cross-cultural setting, is they're looking to see what is healthy and good biblically in this culture and what is not healthy biblically and how can we make this better while respecting the essence of the culture? Like like you said, major on the majors, minor on the minors. I mean, so many of us who have moved from uh, a time orientation society to an event orientation society, you, you just get crazy, but people being late to things or things not starting on time. I think that's such a common one. And there's so much anger. And like you mentioned earlier, all the questions, why is it like this? And why is it like that? And, and so you're recognizing these feelings inside of you, but then you learn to make adjustments and say, one is not better. In fact, there is some beauty in this because these people are here very present with me because they're not worrying about where they're going next. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that the, maybe the bigger picture outcome is not, we're going to, you know, change this, that, or the other to the most perfect way of doing this kind of ministry, this kind of, Mm -hmm. um, model, but really the whole idea of that cross-cultural element is that through the meshing of us doing life and ministry together, God's enriched. God is using you and the flavor, the texture of your life, your culture, your personality to enrich my life. I'm so much more enriched by, you know, um, really probably by just growing in the grace to um, appreciate things that are easy to appreciate and extend grace where I need to extend grace and then realize the same is happening with me. I'm being, you know, received and appreciated. I'm being tolerated and, you know, there's forbearance and all of that is just, it's God enriching our lives um, through, through mixing us. I mean, that happens every day with just different personalities and then it happens on a cultural scale. Um, so yeah, absolutely. And just being patient, I think in that process, like you mentioned, it's, we're not going and even if you do recognize unhealth or things that need to be changed, go slow, be patient because That's Lord right. knows there's unhealth in us that thing and things need to be changed. And so if we are hoping that people will be patient with us, man, we got to be patient as well. And some things aren't going to change. And that's okay too. As you said, major on the major, minor on the minors, um, and trust the Lord, I think, to guide you into what needs to happen and let the richness of other people change your own life. I mean, I know for us, after 10 years of living abroad, I came back a different person. And I'm sure for you, what was that transition then to leading in the States like for you after all you learned about leading cross-culturally, living in other countries? What are some of the biggest lessons you brought back into now leading in an American setting again? That's great. It's a great question and great just summary of, of what you said there, Stephanie. I think it's so good. Um, yeah, it, I think at the end of the day, well, two things. So I made two moves. I made a move from Africa to Mexico and I was in a Northern state. So that almost felt like a bigger move culturally than Mexico back to Texas. Um, because, yeah. and it may just be that I was more frequently up in Texas, um, just from proximity could come back a little more. Um, but certainly there's a cultural jump, but I think it, in a leadership context, it's just, 
after you're in a few different places, you just realize it, the things that actually you feel more is just the humanity of all of us, right? People are people mm -hmm. like we got different accents and different customs, but really it's fear, jealousy, pride. These are, these kind of human things are really, I think what our real, you know, where our leadership goes to work, uh, more than, you know, like, you know, just whatever your, your food preference or your clothing style or your music style or whatever that is. So, um, I think it's, I think that just the diversity of experiences, people, all of that stretching just kind of gives you capacity to deal with even just the human side of personalities, people. Um, yeah. I would totally agree. I think you're, um, not even just ability to handle, but your eagerness for differences really changes. I think when you haven't had that exposure, everything feels different. Every personality feels different. Every cultural thing feels different. Every age or gender feels different. But the more you've been in a variety of experiences, you just go, okay, this is life. This is, this is humanity. And this is how God made us to be. And you think about heaven, it's all cultures, all That's people right. together in the same place. So there is almost like a curiosity, I think, sometimes that you get too after having living abroad, like, oh, I would love to know a little bit more about your story. I would love yep. to know about the kinds of foods you eat or what was your family life growing up or what are some of the challenges that you face? It's It really changes you profoundly as a person. I don't even know if we sometimes realize that when we're in it. I think it's when we get out of that context, when all of a sudden you can kind of look at yourself and go, man, I, I appreciate, Lord, some of the things that you've done in me. And I want to bring that now into whatever new context I'm in. Charlie, question for you. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see uh, missionaries making when they're leading in cross-cultural settings? What's one thing you just wish you could tell them? Yeah, such a great question. And maybe um, this comes from a mistake that you made. I mean, that's some of the biggest life lessons we learn are from flubs that we had. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I mean, there's probably, gosh, you know, a number of them, but um, a few of them, I think, um, and this is in any leadership context, but it's also true. Um, and it may be some personalities more than others, but expectations. Um, if we put unrealistic expectations on ourselves, we're going to be frustrated. Um, we're going to think, you know, so I love, I think, um, as Craig Groeschel has a quote that he, I met, he says a mentor shared with him where, um, most people you're going to accomplish far less than you think you are in the short term, but you're actually going to accomplish far more than you could imagine in the long term. That's and it. just, it's that patience that, you know, that idea of, I don't know the numbers, but there's this, you know, the analogy of like a, a like a fruit tree, like an orange tree that, you know, like for two years it grows and it, there's no oranges and third year there's like a handful you know, and then there's like five, seven oranges, something like that. And then it kind of bumps up to the next year, like, I don't know, 20, 30 oranges. And then it like goes to like 250 or something, you know, there's this exponential curve. And I, you know, obviously Jesus used fruit bearing and seeds and harvests and all of that for a lot of his kingdom. And I think you just have to be present in that season where you're, the seed is in the ground, you're growing and, and then you're, you're going to enter a fruitful season. Um, but you have to, you have to give yourself the grace. And so unrealistic expectations is one. Um, I think another huge one is, um, 
It's just isolation. I think isolation is a problem that, you know, is a challenge in the missions context of just being alone. I think, I think one of the, the biggest challenges that, that we run into really is our stealth. And I think God made us weak on purpose because that's where we lean into him. It's where we grow. It's where we have to walk by faith. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Um, but I think when we're, when we're left with our weakness and we don't know where to um, reach out for help, reach out for um, growth. Um, so I, I just definitely, I think this was true in my life. Um, I've, there was a season when I came back from the mission field, um, the first year or two I was here, um, felt like God did more in me than through me for maybe the first two years I was at Gateway Church. And I remember at one point just, um, I'm, I'm at home and I'm reacting to things with my emotions, my anger, my temper. And I'm like shocked at myself. And I, I almost said in my head to the Lord, like, Lord, where did this come from? Like what has happened to me all of a sudden? And God was like, oh no, this didn't come from somewhere. I just immediately had, you know, had this, it was this, he was speaking, just this thought process. He was like, this was always in you, but I now have you in a place where I have um, nutrients in the soil where you are to heal what you're, so I'm letting it out. Wow. And, um, and I just think sometimes you can be in a place and on the mission fields and then, you know, when you're living in a cross-cultural faraway context of, I don't know where to turn and really just be vulnerable, be real and say, I need help, need help with my leadership, need help with my emotions, my soul, my marriage, my relationships. And, um, especially if you're in a context where you're raising support, it's like, I know these people that love me, but they're also supporting me. Yeah. And you wrestle with the fear of if I'm transparent with someone and let them know I'm struggling, am I going to raise their doubt and weaken support? I mean, it's, it's a real fear dynamic that you can deal with. And, um, and I think that's the perfect way for the enemy to kind of stunt your growth, just mm -hmm. keep you isolated because it's actually, it's when we're vul you know, I mean, you got to have safe people, but it's when we're vulnerable that we connect deeper and that, you know, it's, it's when we're humble that we receive grace. And so that's actually could be a thing that keeps us at one level from growing to the next is just leaning in where here's where my weakness is. This is my invitation for um, his strength to be per made perfect in my life. And that last point is so strong too, because it really ties in even to your first one on met expectations when we don't even know sometimes or not unmet expectations, unrealistic expectations. I think sometimes we don't even know if our expectations are unrealistic until we process them in community. So getting in community, it's not being in isolation, I mean, it's, it's, it is the answer to so many things. And like you said, really seeking out those safe spaces. Um, so those are great. And Charlie, I love what you shared today because had we done this interview, let's say 20, 30, 40 years ago, um, this would have only been applicable it, for the majority uh, in a actual cross-cultural setting abroad. But nowadays in the United States, for anybody who's listening who maybe supports missionaries, which I know we have some of those listeners as well, we have cross-cultural settings and multicultural settings all throughout the United States, throughout England throughout um, Mexico, throughout every country. Right now, there's so much immigration and people going back and forth that it's difficult to find communities where there 
is not some cross-cultural or multicultural aspects. And so what we've talked about today is really applicable for anybody in any space that they are at. And like you said, there's some general things that I think can help any leader. And then there were some things that we talked about today. I think that are specific to those kinds of contexts. But man, you cannot go wrong when you dig into humility, like you said, patience, taking time to build trust, uh, vulnerability, making that relational investment, um, asking those questions. Like you said, what are my unrealistic expectations? What are what are some ways in which I can make myself more open to people so they can get to know me as I get to know them? Uh, those are some really great things you shared today. So I appreciate it. And thank you for sharing it in the context of your own story and being vulnerable with us here today too. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And Stephanie, thank you for all that you're doing and that Modern Day is doing, not only to just um, resource and and equip missionaries, but encourage and, and really provide um, this resource of knowledge, best practice, um, and, and bringing just different voices in. I'm so thankful because um, the work that, you know, you're doing, whether you're supporting missionaries, whether you're on the field, it matters. It matters. We need every single gift, every single type of person, ministry calling. Um, we need your gift and what you're doing matters. And thank you, Stephanie, for just being a voice and encouragement. Oh, I'm grateful. And thanks for being one of those voices we invited on. It's so great to be able to look at these topics that everybody wants to know more about, like today with leadership and teams and relationships, but to hear from somebody who has that missions experience, who brings in a voice that I, that we can all relate to. Because we go, you know, like you said, that he gets us. I think when we listen to today, Charlie, we say he gets us. He knows where we're coming from. So thank you again. And how can people get a hold of you or find more about out about Gateway if they'd like to learn more? Absolutely. So our um, um, our church website's gatewaypeople.com. So gatewaypeople.com. You can go to global.gatewaypeople.com. There's a little more on our missions ministry. Um, I'm not super active on social media, but I'm just, you flip my the order of my name. I'm at Elliot Charlie um, on social media. And so, and, and then we're um, Gateway Global on social media as well. So Fantastic. And we will post links to any of the resources that you mentioned here today, Charlie. And uh, we just encourage everybody else to join us for our next episode. Since 2008, Modern Day Missions has been providing financial, administrative, and marketing services to Christian missionaries around the globe. We're currently partnered with more than 750 missionaries in 75 different nations. If you or someone you know are looking for a nonprofit covering to fulfill your mission's vision, Modern Day could be the answer you're looking for. Find out more at modernday.org.